0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours in our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, if you dare
2: Hello and welcome to the MMQB Monday Morning NFL podcast. I am Gary Gramling. I am here with Connor Orr of the Weekside Podcast and Connor. That was a that was a Week 9 Sunday full of, of shocks and surprises and, and laughs and and cries and it, it was it was a roller coaster.
3: As uh, as Chris Farley said in Wayne's World, "Good beer, good times, good friends."
2: Yes, <laughs> I I I I think we can cue that up for like any week, right? <laughs> I think it always true. Fits. Yeah, that's All true. Right.
3: That's a universal statement.
2: Let's uh let's start let's start with the Sunday night game. Uh, it was certainly not the most dramatic game of the week, but it was. I think, and again, it was a week with a lot of surprises. Uh, this one was shocking in the lopsidedness of it all. Uh, Saints just just obliterated the Bucks. The game was not competitive from the start. Uh, I, I I I just I'm still stunned by this because I've I think the Bucks are the most complete team in football. I thought they might not win this game. I I thought they probably would, but you know I, I certainly didn't think they'd just be completely outclassed by. Uh, uh, by the Saints here, and and we'll start with the optimistic side, and that's the the Saints defense, which has underachieved to this point, and especially that defensive backfield. Uh, you know, they, they 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 are they're so veteran back there that you kind of looked at it in August and just said like, okay, it's going to be a good group, um, solid at least, maybe spectacular, but it's going to be a good group, uh, and it just hasn't been the case this year since week one. And now that the Bucks come back into town, the Saints' uh, defensive backfield sort of uh, ramps things up again.
3: Yeah, and you have to take it for what it is, right? I mean uh, the Buccaneers got behind so fast and so quickly and if you have that defensive backfield and then you have the complementary pass rush you can essentially take over any game that you want, especially if you're that talented and, and you have guys like Davenport and Anyamada and Cam Jordan and you know, all that stuff blends into a complete and total blowout when you have, you know, that defensive backfield and when you're facing a completely immobile quarterback who can't change the count defensively and punish you in any other way except for his arms so i think that this everything just sort of rolled beautifully into the saints hands and they play that game uh that, that you know that's the best game that they're going to play all year probably and uh you know it just it's unfortunate for tampa because you know now you're two games behind you know the team that you're probably going to compete against to, to win the division
2: yeah, and it's uh, the defensive backfield was good. The pass rush, uh, I mean, it's a good pass rush, and the Bucks have a good offensive line. I, I will, I will stand by that, even with Ali Marpet out. Uh, and it, same thing as week one, it was complete dominance uh, by this Saints front against this Bucks offensive line. And uh, I, I don't really know how to add up. I don't know if it's like an individual matchup type thing. Uh, Donovan Smith, who I think is a uh, a perfectly fine sort of baseline level left tackle I mean Trey Hendrickson just just owns him and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense
3: no, it doesn't, but it, it was, I, I think it was a group effort. Um, we talked last week about how I love um, next-gen stats does average separation from the quarterback um, on any given snap, and so a league average on any given play is four and a half yards. Every single one of the Saints' uh, pass rushers were underneath that by at least a yard um, this weekend, So or last night. So I think that there was a lot to, to like there, but again, I mean, I think that you're seeing, and we'll get to other games where we talk about the Dolphins, to we'll talk about the Cardinals, Talk about the Ravens and all of those teams can change the count and make things more difficult but when you still play someone like Tom Brady who's just so stationary and a game's not going well like that it's the one thing that it's almost like you can't generate a comeback as quickly because any team with uh, even a middling or average pass rush is going to punish you like the the Saints were able to do last night.
2: Yeah. And like you said, I mean, it took the Bucks until well into the second quarter to get their first first down of this game. And uh, it just it, it never got better. It wasn't even like a garbage time performance where it's like, ah you know, whatever, a couple of touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. And and, you know, you can see there uh, maybe something to grasp onto and be optimistic about. But that didn't come either. They kicked a field goal, I guess. So good for them.
3: That field goal uh, won me my fantasy football matchup, which was Did it nice. really? Uh, yeah, because I was losing to the team who had the Saints defense, and thus that, oh. that field goal brought them underneath the threshold, which is nice. But um, uh, back to things that people actually care about, um, I would say that it's so weird to me that there have been games and maybe it's just uncharacteristic because Tom Brady's involved and he's never been on a team that's looked unprepared for anything before. But, you know, they can look so ready and so dominant for some games and then just so completely like, you know, they were preparing for a different opponent almost. Like they got the playbook switched or something during the week and they showed up at the last minute. And, you know, that's what they look like this weekend. And it's just so weird to say. And maybe that's just our inherent bias from the way that we viewed them in New England and how they were always prepared for big games and stuff like that. But it's just it's so unsettling to see, you know, Brady in this kind of atmosphere, in this environment, just so kind of buried underneath the moment, you know?
2: Yeah. And, and look, Saints are now the uh, season sweep is completed of the Bucs. Uh, obviously, driver's seat there in the uh, in the NFC South and they won five in a row. And, uh, you know, we kind of we kind of set that team aside a little bit. Uh, you know, it, it, we were all sort of on the on the Bucks and the Seahawks and, and the Packers for a little while, and it looks like the Saints are are just sort of reemerging as maybe the favorite in the NFC uh when it's all when it's all said and done here. But, uh, they have the
3: two best quarterbacks in the division, Gary, Drew Brees and Taysom Hill.
2: <laughs> Taysom Hill. Oh my goodness. I, I, <clears throat> I did appreciate the fact that they just Flat dropped back with uh, Taysom Hill for the first time uh, in a long time, and uh, he did complete that pass to Jared Cook, which was, uh, you know, completed passes are good, but it was also wide open, and threw like a full yard behind him. So
3: you know what Sean Payton's doing, and this is like, um, I, I would say this is basic human instinct, but I'm, I'm guessing at some point, I know you played video games, but do you ever have the old like NCAA football games? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so you create a dynasty and you have this quarterback that's great but then like you know you you play like 30 games in a row with him and you're just bored you you want something else you're dominating and you're just like let me throw this bulky mormon guy into the fold just to you know just to mess around and uh and and that's what he's doing. I think he's just having fun with the, with the whole situation. Good for him, you know. I think Sh- Sean Payton is a lot like all of us. He's just bored during this time, and Taysom Hill is his
2: muse. That's uh, and, and I also I love Bulky Mormon as a as sort of an <laughs> automated name that you can plug into subway football. <laughs> let's uh, uh, let's go on to this. This was a milder surprise, but a surprise nonetheless. Uh, Seahawks Bills, and I I just I want to throw this out here to start. Uh, obviously, every time. Josh Allen plays a game no matter what happens there is a uh, uh, people just shout at each other on social media I mean uh, it, you're you're either uh, he's either the greatest quarterback of all time or he's the worst quarterback of all time and, and it just oscillates between the two and, and everyone gets really worked up about Josh Allen Uh If you look at Josh Allen this year, and obviously Josh Allen, when you look at the season as a whole, has improved immensely over what you saw last year, and last year he had improved immensely over what you saw as as a rookie, so it's a good trajectory for him, but uh, one of the reasons they brought him into Buffalo, one of the reasons they liked him in that 2018 draft is because they said, well, with that with that arm talent with the velocity with the way he spins the ball uh, you can you can play through the you know the the wind and the and the sleet and the snow in buffalo in december and january and that sort of thing and obviously we're small sample size at this point but the games he's really struggled to throw the ball in have been the bad weather games this year the good weather games and we had i mean it was it's always beautiful up there in Western New York, but uh, it was, it was especially beautiful in orchard park on Sunday. uh, just unseasonably warm, absolutely no wind there. Those games, those, those ideal condition games he's played this year. He has been near flawless in those, in those games. So I, I think there's maybe just something to be said for the fact that uh, he is a little bit erratic. Uh, He's going to be streaky as a passer. And when you factor in the weather, that you know his already sort of fringy accuracy maybe gets pushed the wrong direction. Whereas when things are are sort of uh, nice and sunny, things are you know he, the ball placement becomes a little bit easier. Yeah, I
3: agree with that. I would also say that um, like even uh, on Sunday, he is throwing fewer tight window throws than a lot of quarterbacks in the league, uh, and I think that that needs to be taken into account. Now, he's hitting his deep thirds, you know, it's not like... And he's hitting passes to the boundary, so it's not like the the arm talent isn't there, but I think that... it is that offense is just so pretty and it's schemed so well um and I think that I'm not saying anybody can go 31 to 38 against the Seahawks for three touchdowns I'm saying maybe 10 other quarterbacks 12 other quarterbacks in the league do that Josh Allen is is one of those I think he's definitely playing well above his head but um this year but he's he's getting so many great opportunities within the scheme and uh and kudos to Buffalo I mean they're just keeping their opponents guessing uh (laughs) I love the fact that Pete Carroll almost blamed them for the loss because they didn't play the way that they expected <laughs> that was, them to unfair. it's
2: like, <laughs> there was a quota of rushing attempts that they. Yeah. Uh, that why, they didn't why didn't hit. you
3: do more of the crappy things you don't <laughs> do well um but yeah no i think that that you know that that certainly has something to do with it but again i mean he is he's having a great year you know and i think that uh, he he does certain things well but that offense just opens up so much and to the point where i'm you know i i, I mean I don't know if you're a full on uh, Brian Dable stand like I am, but I would love to see what happens next in terms of, you know, I, I I would imagine he gets a job after this year somewhere else and to see what happens with that quarterback um, wherever he lands, because I, I think that there's a correlation there for sure.
2: Yeah, and, and, you know, it's what Buffalo's doing offensively, Seattle defensively. Uh, and again, look, Pete Carroll, I, I, read the quote and then I saw Pete Carroll delivering the quote and he, he was a little bit tongue in cheek when he was, uh, when he was saying it, but, uh, the Seahawks obviously were not prepared for what they got early in this game. Uh, you know, they—they—I I don't know if they thought they'd maybe generate a little bit more with a four-man pass rush with Carlos Dunlap in there. And Carlos Dunlap did make a couple plays in this game, but uh, they ended up having to blitz and they had to blitz heavily. And I think that's what you're going to see from this defense this year. There's just not enough of a pass rush, and they just don't. I. I I don't know if Quentin Dunbar is uh, is hurting. I know he has some some knee problems that have sort of lingered. Uh, he couldn't cover. there. There's no Shaq Griffin. So, uh, I mean, they had all sorts of issues with the pass defense, and they, they really ramped up the blitzing, and eventually it just burned them in the end. Uh, you know, it, it's sort of a, when they flipped the switch, they had some success, but it just didn't last long enough to actually uh, have any sort of, I don't know, sustained long-term success in this game.
3: I was expecting Jamal Adams to bring so much more to the table here. And Quentin Dunbar is obviously a big disappointment. That was a guy that I thought was really going to complete the secondary. But I just think that Seattle as a whole kind of hasn't evolved the way that you've seen some of these other cover three offshoots evolve around the league, right? I mean, we saw Mm -hmm. what Robert Sala did in San Francisco. And, you know, you take that, that skeleton of that defense, and then you get creative with it because, you know, Seattle, the way that they played that defense changed the NFL every team adopted a version of, um, of of that defense and then what did people spend the next five years doing finding all the plays that beat it with regularity and I think that the problem is we haven't seen Seattle come far enough away from you know that sort of that original recipe you know and I think that that's what they need to develop as they go on here and you know not that Pete Carroll would would take cues from some of his apprentices here but I think it would help to kind of look around and see okay what did some of these other guys do and you know know what they need again is is a pass rush right they need somebody to get after the quarterback and kind of shake some of this stuff loose but they just they don't have enough of a presence there
2: no, and you're you're absolutely right. And look, they are limited by the fact that they're just not very good on on, on the front four, and they're just not great at cornerback right now. Uh, and they might not be great at cornerback. But we'll, we'll have to see what Dunbar is. Like I said, it, it might have been an injury issue uh, in this game. He might have been playing through something. I, he was just he was not good enough in this one. Uh, the, the The one thing I'll say is like. This is going to sound really dismissive and, and, and oversimplified, but uh, uh, you watch these two defense and they're both flawed defenses uh, in slightly different ways. But uh, the Bills, when they blitzed, it seemed to be a little more thoughtful, whereas the, when the Seahawks blitzed, it just seemed kind of like an on tilt uh you know whatever uh, the the monster blitz in madden where you just sent everyone <laughs> engaging like, it eight. just seemed like that again and again and again just calling the same play and and i'm sure there again much more thought goes into it by pete carroll and, and ken norton jr but it just seemed like they were like yeah it was it was like shrug your shoulders like ah i what can we do just send everyone send everyone again send everyone again uh whereas with the bills it was more like uh it was different guys coming it was a little bit more disguised it was causing a little more confusion it was causing Russell Wilson to have to think a little bit more uh whereas uh you know I I think it did cause some hesitation with Josh Allen but not enough uh and Allen can obviously extend some plays uh and once they sort of figure out what was going on it was it it was just not going to work
3: his mobility is getting so much better too and and that I think is a major factor here in the way that he's um pushing up into the pocket and just even getting two or three positive yards um, in situations where I think he would have thrown the ball up in the air before or, uh, you know, ma- made some sort of a super negative play. Um, you know, he's splitting defenders. You know, he's he's doing all these things really well. And I think that just, again, there's so many more dynamics to Buffalo's offense than there were maybe two or three years ago. And uh, it's forcing defenses to, to play weird, you know, and, and to play them honest.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And look, uh, Seahawks offense side of the ball. This was uh, for the second time in three weeks. We saw a defense frazzle Russ, and I think it is. I think it's a tough blueprint to follow, because, again, like I said, I, I think uh, Vance Joseph in that Sunday night game two weeks ago and uh, Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott in this one, uh, I think it was more a matter of pressing the right buttons, getting the right blitz, with the right look at the right time, as opposed to just uh, you know, well, we're just gonna blitz them a ton and and cross our fingers and hope it works. It, it's it's a it's a it's a very thoughtful approach that they've taken with the blitz in these games, and uh, it got to them for a second time, and and we'll see if it is replicable going forward. I I, I don't really know if that's the case, but uh, I mean. Bill's defense that has had a lot of issues this year uh, they uh, they won this battle which I think a lot of us just did not anticipate coming
3: yeah I mean at the end of the day this is a team that I would not want to uh, face in the playoffs right you know if we were living in an alternate uh, world where we had MLB rules where you were allowed to uh, pick your did they end up doing that baseball where you got to pick your opponent was that a th-
2: or was that just disgust? They, they didn't I don't think they did it, it, we gotta. I don't know. We got to bring Ferducci onto the podcast now, I guess. But Cowards. Um, I, I don't think that once the Orioles were out of it, uh, you and I just <laughs> stopped uh, paying attention. But uh, it was also and, and look, I usually watch the baseball playoffs. It was so uh, I don't know. what. What's the word? It, it was just so uh, difficult to. To follow and figure out who was like who had earned what spot and and I it, it was yeah I I didn't really follow the early rounds I watched the World Series that was about it.
3: I don't think I watched anything. Like you said, once the Orioles are out, which typically happens within the first two or three weeks of the season, mm-hmm. um, there's really not a whole lot. Uh, there's really not a whole lot to do. But I thought, and you know, I thought I read something that at some point they're going to make the best team pick their wild card opponent. And if that ever happened in the NFL, I would love that. It would be completely amazing. But I would not pick the Bills. Would be one of the last teams I would pick because there's just so many things that they do good enough. You know what I mean? Like they're just so—they're just so overwhelmingly balanced, and I think that um, you know that's gonna—that's gonna hurt, and that's gonna be a
2: really difficult thing for teams
3: to contend with.
2: The content that would generate, it would uh, sustain us for so long. forever. Think of all right. Let's. Let's go down to Dallas for what was nearly I mean this would have been one of uh, just the all-time upsets here uh, the Cowboys getting uh, more than two touchdowns in this one and uh, this was an absolute uh, this is an absolute battle Steelers offense I mean let's let's talk about it a little bit the downfield passing game is just not quite there and I don't think it's a matter of they're not doing it enough they're just they're missing the shots they're missing them by not a whole lot. Uh, I think if you're a Steelers fan, I mean, look, you already feel great because your team's 8-0 right now, but I think if you're a Steelers fan, you can be a little bit cautiously optimistic that that stuff will click in the second half of the season because it seems like it's almost there, but it's not there right now.
3: It's a rule if you're a Steelers fan during your best seasons that you have to have a deep threat who only catches one out of every five, you know, wide open shots. <laughs> that's like a that's a rule that that came from Sam the Sammy Coates Law of mm-hmm. uh, of physics. But yeah, Chase Claypool dropped one um, on Sunday, and um, that I think was just out of the grasp of his uh, of his fingertips. But I, I think a lot of this is Big Ben rounding back into shape. I mean, and he's still hobbling a little bit. We saw him miss a few snaps on Sunday as well which sort of, you know, uh, brought tension back to the ultimate fragility of him. And the fact that this team is one rolled ankle away from like, you know, being eight and eight, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is uh, you know, they, they really, you know, I, 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 as surprised as I am about a lot of things, the fact that they still have not invested, um, in a, in a quality backup quarterback is stunning to me. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think that Pittsburgh is good enough, um, offensively and they just haven't needed to press that pedal, um, at least, uh, uh, and who knows when they're who when they're going to be challenged enough to do so? Uh, you know, and who knows when they're going to play face a quarterback as good as Garrett Gilbert again?
2: Yeah, to <laughs> say look, Garrett Gilbert. This was not Ben Danucci. This was not uh, the the sort of Sandlot plays that they sort of drew up for Ben Danucci and and sort of just prayed that something would work. Uh, Garrett Gilbert, you could see some semblance of like sustainable offense. And and again, the Steelers defense is dominant, so you're going to be limited against them anyway. But uh, they had some good general ideas. They, they they spread them out. They got a couple of good mismatches with uh, uh, those three receivers on the field. There were a couple times where you know it's it, it's a, it, it's zone coverage, and you end up getting. CD Lamb isolated on a linebacker. And like that stuff works. And you can look at that and say, like, okay, this, this, uh, this was a good plan that got executed. And look at that. We got, uh, we got eight yards on this first down throw. And, and things are feeling a little bit good here. So, uh, definitely it was a step forward for this Cowboys offense that I don't think we anticipated they would take. And I think it was a little bit of a reminder. And I know Cowboys fans don't want to hear it right now. It's a little bit of a reminder that, like, Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy kind of know what they're doing for the, for, for, for the most part, I think. (laughs) Uh,
3: I'll, I'll say this, uh, (laughs) back when, uh, uh, Back when I was covering the launch of the Alliance of American Football, I was talking to then the the league's director of player personnel, Heinz Ward. And I said, who is the one guy that in five years is going to be an everyday NFL player that we're going to be talking about with regularity that came from the Alliance of American Football? And without hesitation, he said, Garrett Gilbert, that's the guy. This is the one that's going to graduate from the Alliance of American Football and become um, the NFL player that's going to carry the banner for us. So kudos to Heinz Ward. I think he uh, you know, he, he saw it coming all the way back when he was running that offense for Steve Spurrier and the Apollos down in Orlando.
2: The Apollos, the uh, de facto AAF champion, Orlando Apollos. Can't take
3: that away from him. Uh, cannot take yeah, that away.
2: Yeah, Garrett Gilbert was also – I mean, look – when I think of Gary Gilbert, I still think of him coming in for uh, uh, Colt McCoy in relief in the national title game and, and sort of keeping Texas in there with the, uh, with sort of a juggernaut Alabama team. So maybe this is just what he does for one game every decade. He comes in and, and pulls off a near upset. And that's uh, that's how it goes. But. This would have They would have finished this upset if not for the turnovers. Uh, CeeDee Lamb had a, a, a fumble that led to a Steelers field goal at the end of the first half, and then Gilbert threw a... Uh, he got hit as he threw on a uh, third-and-goal uh, interception in the end zone, and uh, that that did it. And Minka Fitzpatrick is just everywhere you want him to be at the <laughs> exact right moment. There's something to be said for uh, the Steelers being able to force those turnovers, but uh, this one was... Ooh, this this was Steelers were sweating one out that I don't think anyone thought they would possibly have to sweat out.
3: If their first loss was to the Cowboys, that would have just been completely ridiculous. I would have loved that. That would have been great.
2: It would have been completely chaotic. Yeah, (laughs) they instead they're sitting at 8-0 and then look, everyone gets to argue now uh, if the Steelers are really a good 8-0 team, but they're good enough to be 8-0. All right, Connor, go away for a few minutes because it is time for the SI Fantasy segment presented by DraftKings. As always, every Monday, we are joined by Michael Fabiano of SI.com slash fantasy and the SI Fantasy podcast. Again, only comes here once a week. But you can get them every day at those places. Uh Fabs will do the will we'll do the early waiver wire as we always do and I know running backs aren't as robust as maybe some of the other spots. We got a lot of guys to go through, but uh, let's start at running back because uh, running backs are kings here.
4: Yeah, and uh this is probably the thinnest position from a waiver wire perspective. Uh Christian McCaffrey injured his shoulder, folks. So Mike Davis is probably not available in most leagues, but if somebody in your league dropped him, go get him. Cause it looks like he's going to be the guy here uh, for at least maybe a week or so. Uh, but Duke Johnson's probably going to end up being the top running back at this week. Uh, David Johnson suffered a concussion against the Jaguars didn't return to the game. So if he can't get through protocol in time, it would be Duke who's got a revenge game against the Browns. Are we, are we, Still talking about revenge games after last week. I mean, it's still fun, right? (laughs) So, you know what? We missed the ever-elusive Amir Abdullah revenge game. He got into the end zone for the Vikings. We stink, man. All right, anyways. Uh. So, Duke Johnson is worth a look. If Devonta Freeman can't come back, Wayne Gallman has scored a touchdown in three straight games. Now, he's losing snaps and touches to Alfred Morris, of all people, but Goldman's still been pretty good. Uh, Gus Edwards, we don't talk about him as much because we all have this, like, love for J.K. Dobbins. Mm-hmm. But Edwards is getting goal line opportunities, and he's still getting enough looks as a runner to be valuable and maybe more valuable than Dobbins. And they've got New England, and their run defense awful. So, uh, Gus Edwards also worth a look. I can't believe I'm going to say this name. But I have to because I gotta cover all of my uh all of my bases. Caleb Balage. Yeah <laughs> but I left. So Justin Jackson, that was bad. Um he was a top like 12 running back for me in week nine. And he, he barely played because he got hurt, and that's been his mm-hmm. problem. He gets hurt. So instead of going to Joshua Kelly, the Chargers went to Caleb Balage. He had 17 touches, 84 yards, and a touchdown against the Raiders. And guess what? If Justin Jackson can't play in Week Ten, guess who Belage faces? The Dolphins revenge oh, game, man. Yeah, so uh, Kalen Belage will be worth a look. Crazy oh. man. Uh, if Zach Moss is available, pick him up. In competitive leagues, he's not. Uh, and then DJ Dallas could still be out there. But if Chris mm-hmm. Carson and or Carlos Hyde comes back, he'll move to the end of the line. And also, we saw more of Travis Homer uh, against Buffalo. Yeah. But I would still say DJ Dallas is worth an ad if you're desperate for a running back. But I don't know how much longer he's going to have at the top of that depth chart.
2: Ah, well, the, uh, the days it of It's gross out Dallas. there, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, I-,
4: I could talk about Jordan Howard, but I don't want to. Because <laughs> he-, he fell into the end zone, so at least he got you a touchdown. But yeah. I mean that backfield is a mess. I guess if Matt Breida comes back and you could pick him up, then uh, he'd be worth a look.
2: Fingers crossed for Breida here. Yeah. Uh Well, let's let's go to the good news though. We got lots of other guys out here. Let's go uh, receivers here.
4: Lots of them. Uh, so Curtis Samuel, who I talked about last week, still not owned in enough leagues. Played sixty snaps, had twelve mm. touches, uh, almost twenty-seven fantasy points against the Chiefs. He's given you seventeen plus in three straight games. He's been better than Robbie Anderson and D.J. Moore over that time. D.J. Moore has disappeared, man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Buccaneers coming up next for Samuel. Uh, the Broncos have two wide receivers that you can target. K.J. Hamler, uh, who's had 13 targets and over 25 fantasy points in his last two games combined. And then Tim Patrick, who had nine targets, a touchdown, and almost 13 points against Atlanta. And Patrick has now scored 12-plus fantasy points in four or five. And they've got the Raiders coming up. Some other guys. Christian Kirk probably gone. Just check. John Brown, probably gone. Just check. Uh, Danny Amendola, 10 targets without Kenny Galladay. Uh, Nelson Aguilar, a touchdown in three of his last four games. I get it. It's Nelson Aguilar. I don't care. He's scoring. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr. led the Colts wide receivers in targets. Alan Lazard could be back this week. He's getting close. And they've got Jacksonville coming up next. And if Lazard can't go, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is interesting because of the matchup. And uh, he had two touchdowns last week, only four targets, but
2: he made them count. All right, how about uh, how about this tight end scene?
4: Yeah, this this scene is gross, bro. Um, So, Herb Smith Jr. had four targets but two touchdowns. And he has scored 10-plus points in three of his last four games. So, he's worth a look. But I looked at ownership percentage on ESPN, right? Dallas Goddard is available in 60% of leagues. Guys, he's got to be 100% owned. Uh, Austin Hooper is 40% owned on ESPN. If he comes back from the appendectomy this week... He's got to be owned across the board. That that position is garbage, and he had 10-plus points in three straight games, and there's no OBJ in Cleveland. And then Jordan Reed. Yes, that Jordan Reed. Uh, George <laughs> Kittle continues to be out. I know he didn't do much last week, but uh, he's still going to be worth a look off the wire. Tight end is gross right now. It's disgusting. It's horrible. If you get nine points from a tight end, you're basically dancing in the streets. So uh, there's not much out there. So if any of those guys are available, go get them. Quarterbacks? There's a lot. Tua tug yeah. of a Holy God in heaven was that a great performance. Mm-hmm. And the 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 performance against um uh the Rams last week, I think spooked some people because he only had ninety three yards, he didn't do anything. And we're like, Oh, I miss Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Twenty at <laughs> twenty eight, two forty eight, two touchdowns, almost twenty two fantasy points against the Cardinals, whose defense is not that good, folks. They just played a lot of crappy teams. The teams that are good have have gone over 30 against them. Uh, and, and, and week 10, it's Tua against Herbert, right? The Dolphins could have drafted Herbert, right? They took Tua. So, like, that's going to be a lot of fun. Teddy mm-hmm. Bridgewater, 310 yards. I was wrong about Bridgewater. The Chiefs have actually been pretty tough against quarterbacks. This one turned into a barn burner. I had almost 30 fantasy points, 19-plus points in four of his last six. He's got the Bucs coming up, though. Maybe that's a good matchup. I don't know. What the yeah. hell happened to Tampa Bay? Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, honestly, I thought outside of the backfield because, you know, that backfield is, is a disaster. Um, you can't figure out who's going to get the ball. Legit. I Start Mike Evans, start Chris Godwin, start Antonio Brown, start Robert Gronkowski. They all
2: stunk. Brady, something, looked, Brady so, looked like a 43-year-old quarterback in that game. Something about the Saints. The Saints' defense, like, gets Dude, up only for the Bucs.
4: And I am done. Listen. Three straight weeks now, and I'm not the only one. But I'll take my medicine. Three straight weeks, I've said Drew Brees is not a good start, and Drew Brees has kicked me in the onions three straight weeks. I'm done. Just start him. I'm not talking about Drew Brees anymore. <laughs> you know what's going to happen? I'm going to say start him, and he's going to suck because yeah. fantasy football. Uh, yeah, we got a bunch of other quarterbacks that you could pick up. Drew, uh, D- Derek Carr. Okay, didn't have a great game against the Chargers. Uh, I get it. But he's got Denver coming up next week. Denver's defense is bad uh, against the past. Speaking of Denver, Drew Locke told you to pick him up last week. 19 plus points in two straight games had nearly 30 against Atlanta. Their defense is awful. And Locke's got the Raiders. Nick Foles. Okay. I get it. He played like beep. He did against Tennessee. It's called garbage time folks. He had almost 22 fantasy points and the Vikings are up next and their defense isn't any good. So like I, if you're desperate, okay, don't come out and say, well, you know, Nick Foles is a must-start. He's not, but he's worth an ad if, if you need help at the position. Alex Smith, God bless him, okay? Kyle Allen's done for the season. And Alex Smith came in and he wasn't great, but look at the schedule. Detroit Bengals Cowboys, next three mm-hmm. weeks. I mean, pretty, it's nice. pretty good. Yeah. And then, now this one here Jake, you ready? Luton. All right. Jake, I'm listening. 21 and a half fantasy points. His his second pass was like a bomb touchdown to DJ Chark. Come believe it. So, I mean, like, maybe he's a two QB super flex league quarterback, but have, have you ever seen, and I can't remember seeing this many really good rookie quarterback performances in the same season. Honestly, like, you know, I, I know there's been some, right? You know, RG three, Vince Young. There's there's been some there's been some very good rookie quarterback performances, but Burrow's been good. Herbert's been bananas good. Mm-hmm. Tua was great, and then Jake Luton for crying out loud! Boy, I tell you, maybe no preseason is the way to go for
2: some of these. I was going to say, the whole, whole thing got flipped on his head. It's it's supposed to be with no preseason defense ahead of offense. Young quarterbacks are going to struggle. And no, it's it's been the complete opposite this year. Yeah,
4: it, it's it's been crazy. So, so that's it. There are some good quarterbacks that, uh, well, good quarterback options, I guess, but two is number one. I, he looked really good. I mean, I was wrong. I was like mad that they, that they got rid of Fitzpatrick there as the starter because it, you know, in a two QB league, I have him and Fitz was dealing. So I was kind of being selfish there, but after last week, I'm like, Ooh, what was that? Like, yeah. nobody did anything on that offense. You know I mean? It was pretty bad in the passing game. Whew, he looked good, man. I mean, 20 to 28, he, this kid's got something there. And, and boy, I tell you, the, the quarterback position looks really good uh, for the future of the NFL. Well, I mean, unless what, – what's wrong with Lamar Jackson? Why does he stink now? Do you remember when it was fun to have Lamar Jackson on your fantasy football team? Because he stinks right now. And I'm saying stinks. I don't want 18 points a game from Lamar Jackson. I want 24. Yeah. And he has not been good.
2: No, he, not he, at all. He showed up in the third quarter. It, it took him a while. He took the first half off. But, uh, it's brutal, bro. They got work to do. They got brutal, work to do. That's yeah. all you can say about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, Fabs, doing God's work on this show every Monday, but all week. si.com slash fantasy. SI Fantasy Podcast. Subscribe to it if you don't already.
0: Uh, we always appreciate it.
4: You got it, my brother.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
1: Hi, checking in for
0: or the perfect table.
1: Hey, where are you? Coming. So, what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play Stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.
0: What's up? I'm John Wall. And
1: I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game.
3: We're now joined by three time NBA Six Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one on one tournament.
4: If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have ticked it all?
0: I said, I said OG, oh, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? did it need it?
4: <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your
0: podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This
2: All right, Connor, come on back in here. And I know you have very much been wanting to highlight this, this Kyler Tua matchup, what ended up being a great game in Arizona and, and really just the fantastic performance by both young quarterbacks.
3: Yeah. Kyler Murray with the first ever double triple in, in NFL history. Um, and then Tua. Uh this is what we were kind of hoping for to see last week uh, against the Rams. And I, I'm, I'm, happy that it happened in this sort of game, in this sort of environment where you got to see both of these guys go back and forth they kind of trade big throws. Um, you know neither of them were afraid to take chances. Uh, I think Kyler, you know that touchdown to Christian Kirk was like 60 yards in the air and a complete dime and it was just beautiful football and I think that if you take it, On in the in the very long view, and we'll go back to the actual matchup in the game in a second. But I think if you take the broad view of it, these guys are just the tail of the under twenty five quarterback class in the NFL right now. That is superb. I mean, to the point where you know, yes, it was great. You know, Brady and Manning was good, and when Aaron Rodgers came around and Favre, but like we might have a more complete uh, set of really good game-breaking quarterbacks than we've ever had in the NFL right now. Like, think about it. Like, eight or nine teams have, like... Excellent young quarterbacks who can play. Um, uh, they can play on the ground. Um, they're mobile. Uh, they can throw as good as any of these other guys from the 80s, 90s, whatever. And it's it's incredible football. You know, it's just fun. And I think that if you were looking at the schedule back uh, in May and you saw Cardinals Dolphins, you know, in the middle of November, you would have been like, all right, this is there's there's no way I'd be paying attention to this game at all. But instead, it was one of the best games we probably had all year.
2: Yeah, and and look, the the two things I'll say about Tua in this game that were so encouraging uh, after what was again, uh, people were right to be underwhelmed last week with with the Rams' performance, but that's that's fine. Uh, one was the way he he handled the blitz. Uh, the Cardinals did come after him. That's how the Cardinals are going to have to come after quarterbacks going forward. Uh, and also, I mean, look, I I, I don't think the guys, uh, you know, Tom Brady here, but uh, I wasn't sure how his escapability would translate to the NFL. I, I I didn't know if he'd be sort of, you know, he he's not uh, he's he's not a Kyler level athlete. Obviously, he, he's not a, a top level athlete. He's probably middle of the pack, but. Um, he's crafty and you sort of saw that uh, he had two scrambles uh, two key scrambles in the second half where he sort of you know he just sort of uh, moved through creases uh, and, and and ended up squirting out and, and picking up uh, chunks of yardage and uh, the whole thing if it adds up this way, uh, I mean, they're, they're going to be totally fine with him going forward, and and the question will be what is ultimately his ceiling. But uh, when you have this kind of defense that they have in Miami and a quarterback who can do the kind of things that 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 Tua showed he was capable of doing in this game, I mean, that's a that that's that's a complete team all of a sudden in Miami.
3: Yeah, only two quarterbacks on Sunday threw into more tight windows um, than Tua did: um, Ryan Tannehill and Derek Carr. Uh, fourteen point seven over expected completion percentage for Tua. Like this is, this is really good stuff. You know what I mean? This is this is really great stuff. And I'm glad you brought up the scramble because you know there was such a natural um, smoothness to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know he he looked like a kick returner in the open field. Like that's how you dismiss defenders. And to be able to stress that, you know, we we I went over overboard and complimenting him last week for not relying on that. But now that this is a different game, um, you know, your defense isn't spotting you 21 points, you know, this is going to be part of your strength moving forward. I think he put a lot on film that defenses are now going to be a little bit overly cautious about moving forward.
2: And, uh, as far as Kyler's performance goes, I'm going to say something that, that sounds like a backhanded compliment, even though it is not, but I'll, I'll get to the good first. Uh, much better at the intermediate and deep intermediate levels in this game i mean that that has been his as- his issue, uh, it, it, you know, over over the first season and a half of his career here, but uh, this Dolphins defense is, I, I and I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying something that people already know, but it's a really good defense, and it's a really, really good pass defense. They have some issues against the run, but uh, this is an excellent pass defense. And for Kyler to to step up and perform in this game like he did uh, was extremely impressive. It also was like I, I was looking at the numbers. Uh, you know, the Dolphins have faced uh, they faced Josh Allen they face Russell Wilson, uh, they face some guys who can run around and, and make plays out of structure, and they haven't let anyone do that. Russell had, like, four rushing yards against them. I think Josh Allen had, like, 18 or something like that. No one's really uh, burned them like that, but you saw Kyler. I mean, Kyler did the same thing he's done to everyone this year, and, and his legs are a weapon that they just were not last season. And I think it's, uh, it's kind of like what you said about Tua being able to, you know, it's that, uh, uh, that smoothness, that, that ability to sort of, uh, you know, understand where the bodies are are going to uh, when you are on those scrambles. And I think Kyler has just come such a long way, uh, this year, as compared to last year, where I thought he was just—I I thought Kyler, when he scrambled a lot last year, was just trying to sort of run, uh, basically around the edge and just turn the edge and, and do it that way. And he learned quickly that there are a lot of guys who are just as fast as you in the NFL, and you can't necessarily just outrun them.
3: He's so deadly, and he's so intentional with those movements, you know. And 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 it's almost like um, this is going to be a horrible analogy, but do you know when you program? Uh, do you have a Roomba? In your house, like I don't. a robot vacuum. I don't. But um,
2: maybe for the sake of this anecdote, I'll pretend I do.
3: So you know the robot vacuum that you definitely have. Yep. Um, yes. Yeah. It's, yeah.
2: <laughs> it's running right <laughs> now. It's looking for centipedes on the floor.
3: On the uh, it, You know, on your phone, you can tell it exactly where to go and it figures out like the shortest distance between like a straight line and it cleans like in that line and it like cuts down any extraneous movements and just goes from point A to point B in an extremely fast uh, manner. And it's like, that's him. It's just like he sees it. He takes off. He doesn't put himself in any danger, which I think is significant, right? Like there's yep. no there, there there you know, he's he's so smart to he slides right away, doesn't get himself hurt, and uh, you know, all that stuff just just adds into such a difficulty. Like I, I bring this up a lot, but you know, the way that Alex Smith used to do things um, when he was at Utah and um, when he was at San Francisco. Um, but this is like that in hyperdrive, right? It's it's like these intentional little scrambles that just keep the defense annoyed enough where they have to do the things that you they don't want to do against you, you know? And And he's just Kyler's next level smart. And I think that he just knows how to move those chess pieces around, regardless of how good all the other talent is that's facing him.
2: I do want to. I, I do want to mention uh, two other things from this game, and I, I guess this was like my favorite game of the day. Uh, Xavier Howard, who has been great all year for Miami, and a lot of people will look at this game. He, he was he was primarily matchup with DeAndre Hopkins, didn't necessarily follow him, but it was mostly Howard versus Hopkins in this one. Um, he won this matchup, and I think he won it uh, fairly handily. And a lot of people will. Point to the fact that he ended up getting flagged like four times for pass interference. Three of them were just—I uh, mean, they were—they were unforgivable flags to throw. i i, I cannot believe they got thrown. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is very difficult to officiate because he—he he almost seeks out contact uh, when when he's going downfield. But uh, Zayvon Howard got. He just got some – he got the wrong officiating crew in this one. He, he got some flag-happy refs just uh, uh, flagging him for stuff that wasn't penalties. But overall, he was excellent in this game, and he really did win this matchup. And, and like I said, you got Byron Jones on the other side. I mean, this, this pass defense is emerging as one of the best in the NFL, which I guess makes it even more impressive that uh, Kyler did what he did to them. But uh, the Cardinals did get a little bit of help from some uh, – dicey officiating at times in this one and uh the other thing is look cliff kingsbury trying to kick that 49 yard field goal yeah and your offense is it, it's fourth and short it's fourth and one like just even if you make the field goal you're about to give it back to Tua. you can't trust your defense at this point uh you are probably going to lose that game regardless just go score the touchdown go win the game you have this offense this is the strength of your team let the strength of your team carry you to the victory
3: i wish that air raid had the also the character tendency to be like next gen in terms of like i'm always going to go for it on fourth down and i'm, I'm never going to yeah. kick field goals you know but it, he is like sort of a conventional like he, he is fairly conventional in his decision-making, which is a bit of a bummer. But I think he'll grow into that maybe, you know, like I Mike Tomlin it. did, where you hope that if he gets those signature wins and he kind of builds a little bit of that security, then he can really sort of, you know, let the freak flag fly, you know what I mean, and uh, and really start doing some stuff that, uh, um, you know, other coaches wouldn't do on fourth down.
2: It was, a, it was a day of surprises, though. I have to say the biggest surprise was that that kick came up short because when you're watching a field goal for 49 yards, once you see it flying straight, it's like, like I, you know, I have my three screens up and like, it's like the kick was off. It's going right down the middle. It was like, all right, it's good. And I'm looking somewhere else. And I just hear the (laughs) the announcers yell, it's short. (laughs) I was like, what, which TV is this coming from? Yeah. Yeah. That was,
3: uh, that was something.
2: That's how it ends. All right, let's go, uh, let's go Ravens-Colts here where, uh, look, I, I don't know what Ravens fans think of their team right now. I know it's been something of a disappointment uh, to see them not dominate the way they did in the second half of last season, but uh, the defense has been great, and what you saw in the second half of this game in Indianapolis, and the Colts are a quality opponent. Uh, they, they are, you know, Indy had a lead at this point. The Ravens dominated both sides of the ball. They would have scored three touchdowns in the third quarter, if not for a Gus Edwards fumble on first and goal. Uh, Lamar was was excellent. He was efficient uh, throwing the ball. He made plays with his legs. I just think if you watched the second half of this game, you would just sort of shrug your shoulders and say, uh, yeah, all right, the the Ravens are going to be there. They're going to be right there with the Chiefs and the Steelers. And if you want to put the Bills up there uh, when it's all said and done in the AFC.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the part of this, too, is that when we see someone like Lamar Jackson do what he did the year before, our expectation is that that only gets better and more spectacular when in reality, um, you know, he probably spends the next two or three seasons, you know, getting better at the other things that teams are now forcing him to do because they're not allowing him to do the things that he does the best. And, you know, to your point, you know, uh, that you made about Kyler earlier, you know, at the middle of the field, you know, he still, you know, only missed, I think two of his mid range throws, three of his mid range throws in that 10 to Twenty-yard range, um, and you know he's he's just doing the things that he needs to do to move the ball, and he's still adding that effective rushing element. But yeah, I mean, I think that the uh, you know the Ravens are going to be there. I think that they've lacked that. Whatever it is. I mean, they creamed the Browns in week one, but to lose the way that they did a couple times this year to the best of their opponents, kind of the top-notch guys, you know, that's sort of the thing that maybe leaves a little bit of a lingering doubt there. But, you know, there was nothing in this game against a very good Colts defense outside of maybe the fact that they're still struggling to run the ball a little bit effectively. But, you know, it's, you still have Jackson, accident. I think you still have a really good defense.
2: Yeah, and I still say the Colts are... a. Are, are, uh, very good team. I, I think they're right there on the second tier in the AFC. And this was a this was a quality win for the Ravens. One other note I just want to throw out in this game: uh, Jonathan Taylor had a costly fumble that turned into a scoop and score touchdown. And when it happened, I was like, "Oh, Jonathan Taylor fumbling again." I mean, that was that was the knock on him coming to the league. That was actually his first fumble of the year. So, <laughs> you know that that's 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 a That's a tough break. But it, I was almost like, "Wow, good for Jonathan Taylor." He's, I mean, yeah that that that's that's what his issue was supposed to be and it just it didn't pop up until uh sunday
3: you're acting like all the scouts that got fired in moneyball shame on you (laughs) don't be presumptuous gary he can do it
2: (laughs) let's go uh let's go chiefs panthers here uh I, I thought this game was great. I, I thought the Panthers absolutely threw their best punch uh, in, in a number of ways. We've said all year about how the Panthers are undermanned. And, you know, this coaching staff is getting as much out of them as they possibly could. And uh, they took them to Kansas City and they, they almost pulled this one out. But uh, Patrick Mahomes is kind of rounding into MVP form at this point. And I, I think uh, I think this is trouble for the rest of the NFL at this point.
3: All I want to talk about is the 67-yard field goal attempt. It was the greatest part of my Sunday. And to be honest, I thought it was a – you know, I I got – plowed for saying this but i thought it was a great idea like you know i think teams should do more of that like you see all these kickers pregame, like goofing around and trying to drill 70 yarders and maybe i'm spoiled because um i used to work for the nfl and uh we had i I had the difficult assignment of covering the last pro bowl in honolulu um one year so i was (laughs) down in hawaii um and uh, i promise the story has a point but um you know the social, I was down there with the social media team. so the, you know, we were hanging out with Marquette King who came down there um, and to be like our uh, social person for the weekend. Um, but we had Justin Tucker down there and they were goofing around and doing trick shots. And like, you know, I just watched him on a field on the side, to the side of the practice thing, just, you know, taking whacks at 70 yard field goals. I mean, this is what these guys do when, you know, they're not doing their thousand kicks that they're supposed to do and all their kind of golf style practices. They mess around and, you know, why, you know, let's just try it. You know, like give, give me the 70 yard kicker guy. He's out there. That person exists.
2: Absolutely. I I'm absolutely on board. And uh, unless I saw it incorrectly, it had the distance. It wasn't close to going in. It, it, yeah, was, yeah. it was way wide, right? Yeah, he had but. the
3: leg. Yeah.
2: And this was, uh, I don't know. This, I guess, this is how every Panthers loss will end with uh, Joey Sly missing a sixty-something yarder. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that—that's the thing. So, you know, obviously, I, I, and the win probabilities go out the go out the window because you've just never seen anyone make a sixty-seven yarder. So, I, I don't know how you calculate that, but uh, it seems like you have a better chance of making a sixty-seven yarder than completing than, a
3: hail mary, right? Yep.
2: yep. Yeah. Or come up with, and, and and not to pick on Teddy Bridgewater, but we've seen Teddy Bridgewater come up uh, come up short on some of these hail marys over the years. So you know the other option is are you going to do a bunch of lateral stuff and try and score that way, which again probably less likely than making a sixty seven yarder
3: less likely. I mean, the Panthers are probably one of five or six teams that have the weird sort of ranginess of skill position talent that they could probably pull off the lateral. You know, I mean, Curtis Samuel and and Christian McCaffrey and a lot of those guys are probably talented and athletic enough to do that. That said, I mean, I I would love to hear the science on this or, you know, I would love to hear, you know, someone actually say that without any sample size, because we don't know how these guys can do this with any Mm -hmm. regularity, um, you know, what would be the call on that, but I'm not sure if uh, back when we did bad football movies, did you watch Gus with us? Oh yeah. The field goal kicking mule? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, this is basically where Matt Rule is getting his game plan from. Like Gus was drilling. <laughs> uh, for those of you guys who don't know, Gus is a mule from Yugoslavia that could kick uh, field goals the length of the football field, and obviously turned around a woe-be-gone NFL franchise uh, facing uh, uh, extinction or sale or whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, you know, this is the next. This is the next thing, the next evolution. Give me the seventy-yard kicker guy. I Love this. Like it's just, yeah. it's very exciting to me.
2: No, that was uh, that, that was that was me, you, and Bent Marston on the Gus podcast. I, I listened to it again last summer because it, it was it was a legitimately good time watching that movie. <laughs> talking about uh, it. on a
3: non-serious uh, field goal kicker note, though, I think that a lot of fan bases are going to be surprised when. The bad fan bases are going to be surprised when the first coach that their team interviews uh, for a head coaching job is going to be Joe Brady. Like, that guy is (laughs) not going to be uh, with the Panthers next year. I would be stunned. I think that would be a missed opportunity. This guy is a star. And I think that, uh, you know, you're seeing that um, even in the worst moments for Carolina, you're seeing the makings of the next great offensive head coach.
2: He had a Panthers are going to have to, like, move on from Matt Rule in order to keep Joe Brady this (laughs) offseason. <laughs> it's, uh, he had, and, and, and you know, a guy is good. And look, Teddy Bridgewater is, is, uh, he's a limited quarterback. He, you're a little bit limited with what you can do with him. Uh, he has absolutely gotten the best out of Teddy Bridgewater. He has an aggressive, uh, version of Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I mean, look, Christian McCaffrey was back in this game. And, and sadly, the news on Monday morning was that Christian McCaffrey has now injured his shoulder and might miss some time going forward. But, uh, what they did to the Chiefs on the opening drive of this game—a 15-play touchdown drive—to open things up, and that in and of itself is impressive. But it was one of those drives where you had the Chiefs defenders like constantly like pointing at each other, yelling at each other because it's just it—it's <laughs> they're just being out schemed. I mean, that's that's all you can say about it. And uh, uh, you are absolutely right. I mean, it's. It, it's, it's cliche at this point to say like, Oh yeah, the young offensive coach is going to get hired somewhere. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is going to be deserved, and he's. he's I think, yeah, get this somewhere. is totally
3: different. this This guy didn't come from, you know, this isn't another McVeigh assistant. This isn't another Kyle Shanahan assistant. This is like a guy who five years ago was a grad assistant at Penn State, you know, and yeah. uh, um, you know did have his time there with uh, Sean Payton, but completely revamped LSU's passing game with Joe Burrow, and now is doing the same thing with Teddy Bridgewater. So I'm very excited to hopefully watch him coach uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, and with the Jets next year.
2: Mm. From your mouth to it. God's ears.
3: Do it. Don't do it, Joe Brady. Go anywhere else. Like, don't, don't take the Jets job.
2: No, go, go coach Trevor Lawrence. Absolutely go <laughs> coach Trevor Lawrence. Wherever he ends up. Uh, Raiders and, uh, Raiders in charge. Raiders keep on, look, they are walking a tightrope. I don't know how good I think this team is, but right now they're sitting at, uh, what are they? Five and three at this point. They yeah. are obviously the second best team in the, uh, uh, in the AFC West. And, uh, Look, they get outgained by 120 yards. I think you mentioned earlier, I mean, Derek Carr didn't complete a ton of passes, didn't attempt a ton of passes, but his completions were all just, uh, there's just a, a level of difficulty to everything the Raiders are doing, but they're accomplishing it all. And I, I guess there's something be said for that too.
3: John Gruden is fantastic at making easy things harder than they need to be you know that's always <laughs> been sort of his deal as an offensive coordinator you know as an offensive guy if you talk if you talk to Jeff Garcia or Chris Sims or any of the quarterbacks that he's had before that um, there was always this this sense that like this guy is brilliant why can't he just like take what's in his head and put it onto the field in a way that makes sense for everybody but it does it just it looks choppy um, it doesn't look like it's all going in the right direction at once which is weird because there's been games, you know, we I wrote this three or four weeks ago where you could see all the Gruden visions coming to life and he calls some brilliant plays. He's doing some things, I think, that teams are starting to copy. Like, he's at that level. But then there are games like this where everything just looks so forced and unable to be, you know, fluid. And I, I I don't know what to call that, but, you know, they're just, they are the most maddening team in the NFL right now to try to predict because they're talented, they're good, they're theoretically well-coached, but there's just something some sort of ingredient missing there
2: and yet they're still winning i mean that yeah. that's that's what makes it even more confusing if they were sitting here at two and six you'd be like ah so this kind of adds up it, it doesn't it doesn't quite add up but it doesn't it's not like the bears where it is not uh adding up in an almost comical way it's yeah just, <laughs> uh, yeah uh I mean, look. We'll probably have a chance to talk about Justin Herbert and near misses with the Chargers all season here. It's it's just it's insane that he is uh, he has lost six of his seven starts at this point because they have. Uh, uh, not only has he played spectacularly, they've been in position to win every one of those games, uh, except for maybe the Panthers' loss, and uh, they just keep on figuring out a way. And I do want to mention Isaiah Johnson, who's you know he, he's he's uh, six foot two sub package uh, corner for uh, for the Raiders. He got targeted on the two uh, goal line throws in this game uh, that the Chargers had to uh, to win it. It was to six four Mike Williams. He got his hand in enough to break it up. Johnson did, and then uh to six eight Donald Parham and uh Johnson broke up another one, which is uh uh I, that's that's impressive. Good good for Isaiah Johnson.
3: Gotta shut down Parham. We all <laughs> It
2: was it, i I think I'm about to date myself with this reference, but do you remember a guy named Butch Roll? No. Butch Roll was a was a tight end primarily for for the Bills. That's why he sticks out in my mind so much, but uh All he did was, and, you know, the old uh, uh, Buddy Ryan quote about Chris Carter, all he does is catch his touchdowns. Like, (laughs) that was, like, literally what Butch Roll did for a while. He had a, this is a three-year span where he had uh, five catches and five touchdowns between 1987 and 1989 (laughs) for the Bills. Uh, he ended up, he ruined it. He had a, a late career uh, resurgence with the, with the Phoenix Cardinals where he had like 13 catches in a season and no touchdowns Ooh. and ruined the whole ratio. But his Bills career was, let, let, let me add this up real quick because the numbers are so small, but 15 catches in uh, six seasons with the Bills and he had 10 touchdowns. That's amazing. He's awesome. Butch Roll. <laughs> Uh, let's go, uh, let's go Titans bears here. And, and, uh, we, we said the bears don't really add up and now they've lost three straight. Um, let's, uh, let's start this by getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, they've lost three straight. So they're sitting at five and four right now. I will say that looking at their schedule, even if you are sort of down on the bears and, and thought they were frauds and, and stuff like that, they're going to be favored in four of their final seven games here. They can still get to nine wins and make the playoffs.
3: That's why you obviously go back to Mitch Trubisky. No, I'm just kidding. Um, But I, I, uh, yeah, I I think that they have the the most advantageous part of their schedule left. And even if they are fraudulent, right? And you know, I, I think I wrote this earlier in the year that they've been extremely fortunate to be in the position that they are in. They're still playing up to the level of their opponents, right? I mean, they're playing against good football teams and they're playing them tight, which I think is really all you can hope for if you're Matt Nagy without a true answer at quarterback. You know, you have to just hope to remain in these games, uh, have your defense carry you as far as it can go. And they've been doing that, you know? And I think that that's... uh, that's something to be said about the Bears, the fact that they could still chip away at this uh, down the stretch. Now, are they going to be favored against the Vikings down, d- down the stretch? I don't know. Since they're playing so well, is that a team that you can't really count on as a win anymore? I don't know. But at the same time, um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I could see them kind of sneaking into the playoffs again.
2: I counted them as, as Vegas favorites uh, at home against the Vikings, at home against the Lions and Texans, and uh, at Jacksonville. That, that's what I'm counting on there.
3: That's fair. Yeah. I think so. I think that's fair.
2: They still got to play the Packers twice, though. That's unfortunate. Um, I'll say this: it, there are no there are no answers coming on offense. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, this offensive line is atrocious. There there's no run game. Uh, it's just not going to work out offensively. The way they can win games is if they start taking the ball away. And they do have the – I mean, look, they have a pass rush. They can create chaos with this defense. They just – they haven't taken it away uh, each of the last two weeks. Uh, they, they're 0-3 on the year when they don't take the ball away. Uh, and we saw it, – it's the difference between the 2018 Bears and the 2019 Bears was takeaways. The 2018 team led the league, and the 2019 team fell down into, like, the bottom third of the league in takeaways. And uh, that's that's what it's going to come down to. And, and there's a certain amount of luck baked into taking the ball away. And that's what makes it really difficult to look at this team and and try and figure out how they're going to win these games. But they're just going to have to hang close and then uh, you know steal a possession at some point.
1: It has
3: been weird to see, you know, I, and maybe it's because Foles is there, but you know. I, trick plays are it's a weird it's a it's an unfortunate kind of label on there but we saw Matt Nagy's sort of creativity compressed I think over the last two years as a play caller than rather than expand which is sort of weird because at this point you would seem like you're throwing you should be throwing anything you can at the situation you know and I, I would like to see him maybe expand a little bit more um in terms of being that creative play caller that a lot of teams feared and didn't know what to expect from because I do think he's a good coach and I think this is an okay team that can cause some damage if they're Doing things well.
2: And this is, uh, look, this is where it goes off the rails. And this is where, like, respected private citizen Andy Benoit would shout me down for bringing this up. But you, you somewhat jokingly mentioned putting Trubisky back in the lineup. And Trubisky was out this week with a shoulder injury. So even if it was an option, it wasn't an option. Uh, I would just put Trubisky in there and just roll out like a, a, a Tim Tebow offense, or they, just
3: and, and they were doing that a couple of weeks. They did do that, like for two or three plays. I think it was last week or the week before. And I, you know, as much as I'll complain about Taysom Hill, you know, the, it, it it had that flavor to it, certainly. Yeah. But the, you could do so much more with Mitch Trubisky than you could with
2: Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is probably uh, that's that's the optimistic spin on it. I sh- I probably should have said Taysom Hill instead of Tim Tebow. But uh that's, uh <laughs> the that's Tim Tebow
3: do. offense was bad. I mean I covered the Tebow cat. That was uh I was the Jets beat reporter and and I've never seen a more poorly planned um offense than that Tony Sperano, God rest his soul. I mean that was that was really bad. Um, yeah. so I think I think yeah. Matt Nagy could come up with something a little better than that
2: and uh, we should mention the titans who 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 won this game uh and lead the afc south again uh they you know this this defense has have had all these issues on third down uh they they're they're making all these moves Vic- Beasley is gone. Desmond King is in. Desmond King, by the way, had a scoop and score touchdown in this. I, I don't know if that's why they brought him in, but uh, that's... Because uh, they knew he was
3: going to do that. Yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. They were like, Just stand right here, right now, and just wait for the ball to roll to your feet. Pick it up and run. Uh, they have been historically bad on third down. They they held the Bears. and Again, it's the Bears. The, they, they have offensive issues, but uh, they did hold the Bears to two for 15 on third down, so... Um, It's kind of one of those things where you looked at this defense and said like no matter you know they were successful in this game and you look at and say well it was just the Bears but uh, it's better than getting burned by the Bears which I think might have happened if they performed like they did the last couple of weeks and uh, and also AJ Brown was just unstoppable AJ Brown is just I mean he is he is approaching superstar levels here. Uh, along with, I, I you know, DK Metcalf rightfully gets all the headlines, but AJ Brown might be uh, right there with him in that conversation for uh, best receiver in football.
3: Which is weird that you're not seeing them that emergence be able to get Corey davis moving more you know and to accentuate him a little bit more you know As a top 10 pick you know there's a lot of promise there too which i thought you know just get and and he had a couple good games over the last few weeks but um yeah no i think this team is doing the right things i think they're building the right way and they're going to be another team like the bills that i do not want to play um down the stretch in november and december
2: and I will say, just, and, and we won't turn this into Corey Davis' uh, podcast here, the one thing I do wonder about Corey Davis, and I think he's a fascinating free agent uh, case coming up this offseason, I think there is, you look at this and say like, oh, A.J. Brown's getting all this attention. Uh, shouldn't Corey Davis be be putting up numbers across from him? I wonder if the, the offense is just schemed so well that you can still get A.J. Brown his touches. That's and true. And you almost don't have to go to option two in the offense.
3: Yeah, that's true. That's a great point.
2: But uh, let's uh, let's let's go to <laughs> let's go to to Minnesota. I mean, Dalvin Cook has just completely taken over this season in, in a way that uh, I didn't think we'd ever really see uh, a running back just dominate an offense like this. He had another 252 yards from scrimmage on 24 touches in this game, and uh, he just has not been tackled the last two weeks. And, and you know all of us who sort of rolled our eyes a little bit when the when the Vikings gave him the contract it's like well if you're going to pay a running back get a running back who performs like this
3: and if you're going to pay a running back make sure you're in the same division as the Detroit Lions so you can do that <laughs> twice uh, twice a year um but no he was great and his his second Burst. Um, we saw that in the long touchdown run um, that he had in the third of the fourth quarter. I think that was where, you know, once he gets past that first tackle and he's almost a lock to break that first tackle, um, his ability to reset and then hit that sprinter speed is is incredible. You know, I don't think that there are a lot of backs that have that gear shift ability that Dalvin Cook does. Um, that said, just a punchless performance from Detroit. I mean, there's just nothing that this team can say that they do particularly well well um, and you know I I would assume that defending the run would be one of the few things that Matt Patricia could improve right or right away regardless of kind of who he had at his disposal but this is just a uh, it's a bad team that doesn't seem to be going anywhere
2: they uh they laid down and died as soon as it looked like they maybe might be turning the corner after that Falcons win and uh look Matthew Stafford got absolutely battered in this one it looks like they are going to uh, you know, ultimately just just waste another year of, of having a Stafford at quarterback. And I don't know. It, I mean, look, we're all kind of reading the tea leaves on this Kenny Galladay stuff. Kenny Galladay missed this game, by the way, uh, with an injury. But uh, Galladay has sort of been subtweeting the Lions a little bit about his contract situation. I don't know how else to say it. Besides, uh, this team is just gaining a reputation of just alienating talented players. Uh, whether it be having to give away Quandre Diggs or Darius Slay, and you could you know you could say there were uh, were there locker room issues with those guys uh, as far as the coaching staff was concerned, maybe, and maybe that doesn't exist with Galladay, but um, it just is. They are establishing themselves as such a player unfriendly organization to be a part of, and I, I I don't know how you don't get this sorted out with Kenny Galladay as soon as you possibly can because Kenny Galladay is absolutely a cornerstone player going forward.
3: It seems like there's no, like, they forgot that there's a playoff mandate this year, you know, and they're just like, yeah, yeah. we're just going to keep building this the Patriot way, and it, it, you, you really don't have any time anymore. I mean, this is, you know, it, it it blows my mind that there are coaches like this who just maybe don't think that the ownership is actually going to go through with it, or, you know, they're trying to, whatever, prepare their resume or something, but uh, the fact that the Lions aren't acting at all like the end is imminent for this uh, for this you know, current staff is, is mind blowing to me. And, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know what, you know, are you, are you going to leave with your head held high saying I alienated the five best players in our organization and I did it my way. I mean, no, you, you would like to still be the head coach of the lions.
2: Maybe you thought they meant 2020s make the playoffs in 2020s. <laughs> yeah. You have um,
3: 10 more years. Congratulations.
2: <laughs> let's go to uh, let's go to Washington where the, uh, the giants, the giants won the turnover battle five nothing in this game which maybe that was the biggest shock of the week uh and they end up having to hang on uh, I mean they 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 didn't turn the ball over but like every issue they have on both sides of the ball kind of uh kind of reared their ugly head in this one they, they can't protect Daniel Jones uh when they do and Jones gets an accurate throw away Evan Engram just figures out a way to to put it on the ground somehow <laughs> but uh look I, I'm going to save the Daniel Jones conversation for later in the season because I think there's there's some to get into deeper. I, I thought the uh, there was this... I, I saw more than one Daniel Jones' Jameis Winston tweet, and uh, I just think it's absurd because, yes, turnovers, but the turnovers are coming in much different ways with those two quarterbacks, and one is correctable and one is not. And Daniel Jones's turnover issues are correctable. I don't know if you will correct them, but uh, this was... I guess the point I'm getting to in this particular game, Jones was solid. Uh, You could argue borderline sharp in this game, and maybe if uh, they they don't drop the ball at the rate they do, uh, everything looks a little bit better. But uh, that's uh, that's where we're at with the Giants.
3: Yeah, Um, you know, I I think that Daniel Jones' mistakes are correctable mistakes, and to the point where I think that um, if you don't land in the whatever, the Justin Fields territory, then you're going to be fine. And I think he's going to be able to win you, you know, seven or eight games in a season moving forward, which in the NFC East is good enough to win the division by three games. But um, this team is is doing all the right things. I think it's one of those deals where you know you have the major surgery coming up in the offseason, right? You're going to replace the general manager or you're going to ask the general manager to retire or step down or whatever you're mm-hmm. going to do and you're going to have allow him to line line with Joe Judge. All you really wanted to see this year for the, if you're the ownership of the Giants is that you have a coach that you can put some long-term faith into. And I think that Joe Judge is is a good guy. I think he's going to need to change his offensive coordinator. He's 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 got the right defensive coordinator, and this is a team that plays tough, that seems to like him. And, uh, you know, those things are all positives moving forward.
2: And uh, Kyle Allen suffered a uh, a pretty gruesome leg injury in this one. So uh, Washington football team is now Alex Smith's going forward, not uh, not Dwayne Haskins. Sounds like Smith is going to be the guy for the rest of the year. And what you saw in this game was it was certainly better than that. uh, You know, the the Rams' performance in the the rain. There, Uh, they had something with Cam Sims in sort of a run-after-catch situation. Uh, Smith did find Terry McLaurin for a long touchdown in this one, maybe a little bit misplayed by the defense, but still the kind of stuff you want to see from your quarterback taking that uh uh taking that shot when you're playing from behind. Smith ended up turning it over three times through three interceptions. One was uh his receiver just flat out slipped on a play. But uh you know, we'll we'll, we'll see what this is going forward. I I still I, I'm just really disappointed they're not giving it back to Dwayne Haskins at this point. I I don't think Dwayne Haskins played poorly enough to lose the job, but uh it's going to be Alex Smith now.
3: Yeah, everyone's, uh, you know, I, I hope that he ends up in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan and ends up putting up a butt-ton of points. Um, You know, that that's sort of like quarterback heaven at this point. But, yeah, I, 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 I never understand what Ron Rivera's ultimate goal is. I mean, he's been bouncing constantly between we want to win right now and we think the division's open, so we're going to make this instead of, well, we need to learn how to win. Well, how about you teach, quote-unquote, Zach, you know, Haskins how to win, you know, and, or Dwayne Haskins how to win, you know. And I think that... Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I had a, I had a friend in college named Zach Haskins. So I oh. accidentally just stuck a Zach in there. Dwayne, of course, I know your name is Dwayne. But, you know.
2: Your, your college friend has to learn how to win, too. And yeah, you
3: did. know, that's true. That's absolutely yeah. true.
2: Uh, two more to go here. Falcons-Broncos. is back-to-back wins for the Falcons. Uh, but before you, before you really uh, jump on the bandwagon, they still have to... Play both their matchups with the Saints and Bucks, so I, I don't think we're going to get a late season run to the postseason here for Atlanta. Um, I did just want to mention, I mean, Drew Locke. We said last week, like, okay, can you build off of this comeback win against the Chargers? It wasn't beautiful, but you did put up the points you needed to put up, uh, et cetera. And they just kind of did the same thing again. They they just they did nothing offensively for 40 minutes. Uh, They fell back by three touchdowns. They rallied against sort of a prevent defense, and it just came up short. I I would I would chalk this up to. I don't know on my on my uh, Drew Lock tote board here. I, I would I would I would I would mark it as bad bad news for <laughs> Drew Lock in this one.
3: Yeah, I, I think that this team, if they land in a position an advantageous position to take a quarterback, they should probably go in that direction and uh, and you know give um, uh, give Vic Fangio the chance to to build this moving forward with with that young uh, core guy, but. I don't know. You know, you really don't know what's going to happen in Denver. I think that there's good pieces there. I think that this is an okay team that should probably – they should essentially be the Raiders, right? I think that they're coached um, better. I think that there's probably more of a – better of a nucleus of kind of core talent there. They should be, I think, where the Raiders are in my mind right now.
2: And uh, last one of the day, Texans, Jaguars. I – I don't know if you can really declare a winner in this one. Aside from <laughs> Jake Luton, was uh, the rookie six router was was good. I, I don't want to say great, that's an overstatement. But uh, he was he was good in this one. He started with a, a seventy three yard touchdown to DJ Chark, uh, and he ends up uh, look they they were down eight. Needed a touchdown, got the ball back. He he takes them 80 yards in 87 seconds. They missed the two-point conversion. That's why they come up short in this one. But, uh, um, I mean, I don't know. I, you might have a, a long-term backup there in Jacksonville, I think is maybe what you'd say about it. He and Gardner Minshew can, can battle for that, <laughs> whoever's going to back up Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence uh, <laughs> this time next year. But uh, they were in this game, and that's, uh, that's good. And this Texans defense is... I think if I needed to, uh, if I needed to engineer like an eighty-yard touchdown drive against any NFL defense, and it was to like the fate of humanity, like hung in the balance, but also they let me choose which defense I get to play against. I think I'd take the Texans. I don't think I'd take the Seahawks. <laughs> I think I'd take the Texans. They they just they've been fundamentally broken defensively for for so many years here, and when JJ Watt is not utterly dominant, they just they can't stop anyone.
3: That's a good. Uh, that's a good take. I would probably still go with with the Cowboys. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a there's lots of good choices there. But yeah, I, I, you just don't know what to make of Jacksonville. I mean, they started the season super punchy and exciting, and I think that there is a good, uh, you know, speaking of a good nucleus there. I think that you have like all the things that you need to develop, like. After the fact, like, you have a great number two and number three wide receiver. You have a great backup quarterback. You know, you have all these things that are, like, good to have when you have all the other things that are supposed to be good. And so, I don't know. We'll see if uh, if they end up landing uh, at the top of the Lawrence sweepstakes, which I think would be uh, pretty good for them.
2: They're going to be up there. I don't think anyone's catching the Jets, though. I don't think the Jets are winning a game. <laughs> Just wait and uh,
3: see. They're going to beat the Patriots tonight, Gary.
2: It's... <laughs> Man, what a what a bummer of a Monday night game to have to watch.
3: I know. Yeah, I'm gonna I saved the uh the Sunday Times real estate section. I might I might peruse that. Not that I can afford any of it. I just like how ridiculous it is. <laughs> it's, um It's
2: good. It's it's aspirational.
3: Yeah, so I probably I'll probably do that and then I'll have the game on in the background and I'll 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 tune in if it if it ends up striking my fancy.
2: No better way to spend your Monday night. <laughs> All right, Connor. We'll uh, we'll catch you on the Weekside side podcast. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks as always. We'll have you for another couple weeks on the show, and then we're gonna we're we're gonna change shifts, and Jenny's gonna do it for a while, and we'll go from there.
3: You're gonna bench me like Gardner Minshew.
2: We got to see what we have in Jenny Varentis before <laughs> we before we make a decision going forward. <laughs> All right, the MMQB Monday Morning NFL podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Gramling. We are produced by Shelby Royston, SI's executive producer of podcasts, Scott Brody. Ben Eagle is director of editorial projects and product. Mark Ravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed as well as the feeds for the Weekside podcast featuring Jenny and Connor and the Albert Breer show, which uh, usually has Albert Breer on it. They're all for free on Apple Podcasts. And once you do subscribe, please leave a rating and review for each one. It really does help other people find the shows, which are also available on Spotify, radio.com, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: Play.
0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card. Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, Every game revealed the 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May live on NFL network, ESPN two and streaming on NFL plus terms and conditions apply to NFL plus visit nfl.com schedule release to learn more.
0: I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music, singer songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.